They say that the clothes make the man. In filmmaking, the person that designs the costumes helped make a character a fully realized being. Today, we'll be learning about just that on On The Fly Filmmaking. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movie. Welcome, everyone, to On The Fly Filmmaking. I'm Mary Lou Mandel, your host. And on this show, we talk about all the different aspects of filmmaking, from directing, producing, to sound editing, and today, for the first time, a costume designer. I'm Thank very you. excited to have you with us, Karen Wagner. Thank you. Nice Thank to you. be here. Thank you. Um, please let everyone know where they can find you on the internet. Well, you can find me on my website at KarenWagner.com. Nice. And I'm on Instagram at Karen Wagner. And I'm on Facebook at Karen Wagner. Right on. There's a theme. Good, good. It's just like mine. I'm like all over the internet. Mary yeah. Lou Mandel. Yeah. If you can figure out how to spell my name, then you're good to go. <laughs> Which is actually like a tactic I use when somebody asks for my number at a bar. And if I don't like them, I will not spell my name correctly in the phone. Oh, smart. Yeah, because That's then I'm like, okay, so I feel smart. bad about lying about my phone number. Yeah. Because maybe I'll change my mind. Right. But if I like don't have my name correct, then they can't I Google me. totally get it. It's the same thing with Karen Wagner because I spell my name with a Y. Yeah. And so, and everybody's like, K-A-R-E-N. And you're like, uh-huh, no. Yeah. Mm, sorry, you lose. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. You can't find me. You're out. <laughs> awesome. So you've worked on tons and tons of amazing projects. Thank you. Most recently was Waco. Yes. Uh, Basmati Blues was a really like beautiful, colorful movie that you've worked on recently mm-hmm. along with The Notebook and Crash the TV series, Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. and wow, uh, you've done your The research. Green Mile. Wow, yeah. man. Yeah. Go, girl. I told you I was internet stalking yeah. you. <laughs> awesome. So I'd, I'd love to uh, chat with you first about how you got to this point in your career. Like what got you into costume design? Because a lot of the people that we talked to here on On The Fly Filming started somewhere completely different. Right. And then ended right. up doing this cool job right so where did you start i okay so i was originally going to be a veterinarian um which didn't it took a little left turn and i ended up with a degree in art history yeah and i took a gap year but i'm third generation film so like i'm kind of genetically modified like all anyone in my family has done is film so i was taking this gap year and i took just sort of this short little job helping out in a production office and i was like why am I trying to fix what ain't broke, sister? Just do what you love and what you know. Yeah. So I um, I started out in camera, and it was the 80s, which was not a good time to be a woman breaking into a man-boy club. So I was, I love that it's a man-boy club. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much a boy club. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're growing. They're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had gone to Hollywood High, and a bunch of us were in play production together, and we all stayed friends. And I'm washing dishes with my friend one night, and she, she had become a costume designer. She's like, why don't you just try a costume? You're really well-dressed all the time, and I think you'd be a natural. And I'm like, okay. So I did, and here I am. I yeah. mean, that's a really simplified version. Um, I started out at the bottom. I worked as a PA. Um, I'm fortunate that my parents really taught me a great work ethic, and I really firmly believe that's the basis of any, the success of any career. It certainly has helped me in film. Um, yeah. Because I just, I have insisted on learning every single step of the way, every part of the process. Um, also what all the other departments do and how I can help them and how they can help me and how we can all work as a team. Because you can't go into film saying, well, I'm the costume designer and it's all about costume and I know you've got the memo, right? Because it's yeah. all about me. You can't really do that. You have to find out what the DP is doing, what the production designer wants, what, the, what color the set decorator is going to make the curtains or the couch. And you have to work with all of that. So I've may, really made it a point to learn as much as I can about everything that everybody does yeah and not just what i and 
besides what I do. And I, I really love that. That's something that I always recommend to people who are wanting to get into film is mm-hmm. maybe you don't know exactly which department you want to be in yet, but like find a way to get on set mm-hmm. and learn what everyone does. I because no matter where you end up, mm-hmm. at least you understand because we're all just one cog mm-hmm. in a much bigger machine. Absolutely. That once they Absolutely. work together a beautiful art can come out of the other side. Absolutely. And I think it's also great when you start as a PA and you work around different departments or you start out doing craft service. You have a much better appreciation when you are running a department or you're a producer or whatever it is you want to be. And you see that poor kid that's taking hot soup to everybody at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're like, oh, I was there once. Yeah. That was hard. That was hard. And I really appreciate that kid for showing up and doing the job. Definitely. Like, I started out, I did like a solid like year and a half of extra work yeah oh you know and and I just I kept my head low but I was there because I wanted to learn like I wanted to perform but I wanted to know how all of it works so smart and then that's how I ended up eventually uh, behind the scenes you Mm -hmm. know it's like I I like being in front of the camera but like Mm -hmm. behind the scenes is where the party's at yeah absolutely yeah I agree when you get back there then you're like oh yeah we have we have the control we're having the the good times we're pulling the strings back here yeah good okay so then uh what was one of your big breaks in costume uh, I think when I did a very difficult production uh, 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 costume supervisor job and the producer called me and said, we really appreciate what you did on the last movie and we want to give you this John Woo, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Would you like to costume design it? And I was yeah. like, what? Which movie was that? It was called Double, no, it was, I don't remember. I was like, I was like, I think I know this movie. <laughs> it was, um, it was about a guy. Um, it was about like some kind of blood sport where they hunted humans. Uh huh. And we spent like weeks in the Mississippi River at midnight. And you're How like, oh, exciting! That sounds like fun. That sounds exciting. But it was freezing cold. Yeah. And you had to have twelve Navy SEALs on every single person that went into the water because you got hypothermia so fast. And I, so I learned like all this stuff about like. What it's like to put people in cold water and how you have to buy the clothes, size bigger to accommodate the wetsuits. Yeah. And, right? All the things you have you to don't think, think about, about all these other things. It's, I mean, what's so great about the film business, any aspect of it, is every day gives you a new problem. Mm-hmm. And if you're a problem solver, like I am, I mean, I'm just, my brain has to keep going. I'm like, my brain's like a shark. Yeah. If it has to stop, it dies. Yes. Right? So. Yeah. I feel like that all the time. <laughs> Which is why I love what I do so much. So mm-hmm. every day is like, Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll figure that out. So that was probably, that was one of my biggest breaks. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, just from there, you know, you just you just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, like, I've ended up, uh, like, from learning different things about production, like, costume design was something I was almost going to really pursue hard mm-hmm. because it's a, a tangible thing, like, you can touch and you can create mm-hmm. and you, like, you see a finished product mm-hmm. where uh, now I've ended up doing a bunch of other things, mm-hmm. but, like... Well, you're really good at what you do, so you should probably stick with that. I okay. think you should maybe they'll start paying you for it soon. Yeah, you, you think so? Uh, maybe. Okay. Just, all right. Just saying. Good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's but like understanding all of that. Like I did study yes. a little bit of fashion, right. and I studied some makeup. I studied mm-hmm. so like because you understand, you're building a complete character, a complete mm-hmm. experience. There's well, you're telling yeah. an entire backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, when you lay eyes on a character for the first time, you don't realize how much you know about them. And they haven't said a word, and you don't have any backstory on them. But you already know what class they're from. You already know, you know, what their political allegiance is, probably. Certainly where in the country they're from, what their socioeconomic status is, whether they've had an education or not, whether they've traveled or not. You know all of that from looking at what they're wearing mm-hmm. and looking at their hair and makeup. Yeah. 
and you know, it's like we in the backfield have done our job. We've already presented you with everything you need to know about that character. So when you meet people, do you kind of like? Oh, you have no you idea. You pick their back. Oh, this is why it's yeah. my favorite. I have friends that will just go people watch with me. Like yeah. we'll order a cup of coffee and not have a conversation at all. Uh-huh. We'll just be like, mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay. Did Did you see those shoes? Yeah. yeah, I saw those shoes. Did you see those earrings? Wow, amazing. Okay, yes. cool. Yeah, because you're like admiring art in real life. Absolutely, yeah. you're admiring people's personal art and mm-hmm. people's people's self adornment is such an art form. Yeah, and it's and it they're just they're just signaling so much about themselves like everybody is just so full of personality and so full of stories and they want to tell them somehow even if they can't sit down with every person they see on the street right yeah so you're like oh those earrings okay i get it i got you i'm with you i follow you you want people to look at you or you don't want people to look at you like you can tell so much about every single one is a costume yeah the people who are hiding and the people who are not hiding Mm -hmm. every single one's a gosh it's so brilliant yeah i love it it's amazing yeah because like it, it, it can reflect like your clothing in real life and then translating that to mm-hmm. filmmaking like yes. sitting around and people watching will help you in your filmmaking absolutely but- although sometimes i have to say the truth is stranger than fiction yeah i remember one show i was doing and there was something about um people who went to flea markets i can't exactly remember the context anymore but i actually went to the flea market and i took pictures of a lot of the people who go to flea markets and the director was like whoa no, we can't. No, oh. Dad, no, nobody's going to buy that. I'm like, but it's real. He's like, I get it. I get it. But you have to have the, the TV version. Yeah. The exactly. TV version or the of the film version or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. Marissa gave me a little uh, tip here on my computer that it was Bloodsport the movie. No, that wasn't it. It wasn't it. That it was a different it. movie. It, was, it wasn't Double Impact. It was the one after Double Impact. Okay. Because Double Impact is where he had a twin. Yeah. I love the John Claude movies. That <laughs> was one of my last super costume supervisor jobs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like crazily like one of the, like, my mom and I would just always watch John Claude movies together. Oh, how like, funny. That was like our bonding movies. It was That's so fun. so funny. <laughs> so it's like, you think of it as a father-son thing? Yeah. And I was like, no, it was me and my mom. But those films are where I really learned to love stunts yeah. and explosions and mm-hmm. high-speed chases. Yeah. I was like, wow, they're so much fun to make. Mm-hmm. And they're even more fun to watch when Right. And then so like, talk to me a little bit about designing something that is for like costumes for stunts Mm because you have to keep in mind harnesses and like how things are going to rip and how like fragile or not fragile the Mm -hmm. fabric is versus we're just talking yeah absolutely well there was a lot of that actually on to add just one more layer to that there was a lot of that on underground Mm -hmm. because underground's a tremendously physical television series Mm -hmm. people are running through swamps they're swinging from trees they're you know they're on runaway coaches so you're you just and everything had to be made because you just I mean obviously there's nothing left from that period and there's mm-hmm. nothing really in the costume houses so you need ten of everything so you're making 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 yeah. making and you're making in so you're one of the things you have to make sure is that um, people are covered head to toe and that you know like all the way down to their wrists yeah. Um, because you might get somebody who's facially similar, but they've got an arm full of tats or they, you know, they're going to need a special harness on their arm. Um, things have to be a little, have a little bit more room to move in them. Mm -hmm. So while you might tailor your stars outfit a little bit to, you know, show off that broad brawny chest, you, the, the multiples you're making of that same outfit have to be roomier because there's one guy's going to have a full body harness because he's going to get yanked and another guy's going to be riding a horse and he's going to need some other kind of harness. Um, so you have to be conscious of like every possible way this could go down. So you're just always, yeah, you just the wheels are just always moving, and you you know you're thinking a lot about fabrics. If somebody going to get drugged, so you have to back it up 
up a few scenes and try and get him into a leather jacket or something so that he can hide all the pads. You know, they have something called um, armadillo, uh-huh. which is a big pad that starts kind of here at their shoulders and goes all the way down to their cossacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you need to hide that. Um, so you want to make sure that, you know, you want to try and get them somehow into something heavy duty that right. won't rip so you don't see that pad in the middle of a shot, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And also that it like it might hold up even if they're not wearing the armadillo because mm-hmm. they might have to be yeah. in either situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, exactly. my gosh. So much to think about. It's so, so much fun. To, yeah. That's yeah. great. Okay. So uh, most recently you've worked on Waco. Mm-hmm. So um it is a TV miniseries that's on Paramount Network. Yes, that's correct. And they, it was like a six-episode run yes. um, about a real-life situation yes. that happened. So yes. let's check out the trailer for that, and then we'll talk about that work. You've looked to me to be your leader, to guide you on this journey. But I'm no leader. I'm a follower, just like you. God has instructed me to stay here and wait for his son. This is our time to prove through suffering that we are worthy of the miracle that's to come. kingdom of heaven is coming. I promise you. All right. So I have to admit, and I I have said it on the show before, that like shows or movies that are based on real life, like bad things that happen, Mm -hmm. stress me out so much. Mm -hmm. They just give me so much anxiety. So I can't imagine like what you, you no went through no, you because don't. you're like living through this. And yeah. I, and I had read in or heard in one of your other interviews that you actually had like a wall of photos mm-hmm. of all of the people mm-hmm. that you could access. So tell me about mm-hmm. pulling that together and, and you dealing with it as a person. So when this actually happened, I was actually on location in Hong Kong, I think on a Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. movie, funny enough. And I the the news was so condensed and had been so weighed to one side that I didn't really understand what was going on. So when I started to do the research on this, I was horrified. I was horrified by how many things went wrong. Like you can't really blame one side or the other. David Koresh was no bigger a monster than plenty of other people who walk every day amongst us. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, I don't think that the government had, you know, necessarily this horrible ill intent to kill him and his wives and his children. It's just a place where a lot of things went wrong. And we tried to show that. The directors tried to be very fair. The series, as I'm sure you remember, is based on two books. One written by um, uh, 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 Gary Nesner, who was the FBI negotiator, mm-hmm. and the other written by one of the survivors. Mm-hmm. And so trying to make all of this meet in the middle. Um, so one of the promises when I realized really what had happened and, and how these people had been murdered, I 
really wanted to honor them as much as I possibly could. So I got a complete list of all the people who died, whose bodies were recovered and who died. And I made a list and I said about finding their photographs on the Internet. Mm -hmm. So I posted them all up on this wall and it uh, it, completely unintentionally, it became one of the big touchstones for people arriving to play parts. So they'd come and they'd find their counterpart, their person person on the wall. Um, And then to see it in context of everyone, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just like, oh, here's like a snapshot of your character that you're playing. No, and I had grouped them all in families. Yeah. And I had I had arranged the walls so that the people who were best friends Mm -hmm. were closer together. Yeah. So and then the the family ties were so there was uh, Rachel Jones, Nee Jones, she became Rachel Koresh. Um, David married her, and he married her younger sister, Michelle. And then their father was one of his right-hand people, and their brother was also one of his right-hand people. And then David Thibodeau, the guy who survived, married Michelle for legal reasons so that it, you know, would be legal in Texas, you know, to have all of this going on. Um, You know, so his, like, his whole family is kind of interspersed with the Jones and the Koreshes and then the Koresh children and then all of the wives, you know, kind of. And, you know, and it was the thing that was really so stunning to learn about this is how closely knit all these people were and what, you know, whether you're religious or not, they had a community Mm -hmm. of love and respect. Yeah. And their, their religion gave them certain rules and, you know, I'm not saying I would necessarily agree with all those rules, but it's not my culture and it's not my choice. Right. And I'm just there to represent them as best I can. Mm -hmm. So with all these people on the wall, trying to extract a personality from a few photographs and trying to figure out how to dress each person. So we have, you know, you have your speaking cast, but then you have all these extras. Yeah. You know, because we're trying to represent the whole nearly 100 people who died. And so we cast, um, the ADs were, were very gracious and they worked, I worked, I got to work with them in casting faces that matched the people who died, who. Yeah. So they're not just bodies. You're not just like they had to, they had to commit to being there every day. And Mm -hmm. I gave them all closets and they, you know, could sort of, they, they kind of got the responsibility of remembering what they wore on various days. And, but that also gave them the background. Like I would show them the wall and say, you're playing this person and this person died. And, you know, if you want to read the autopsy report, I have it. You yeah. Know? Oh, good um, Lord. But this is where they came from originally. They came from London. You know, they came, they're part of this family or they're friends with that person. Um, and you and it was such a tight knit community of filmmakers as well. I mean, everybody was so involved and so committed and knowing, obviously, how it was going to end, and yet, like, not wanting it to end that way. You know, like, I remember the day I woke up, and, you know, we were going to film the ending, the burning of the compound and everything. Yeah. And just waking up going, why couldn't it end differently just this once? And like, no, Karen, you're here to do this thing that yeah. happened. Like, couldn't we just rewrite the No, Karen, we can't rewrite the ending. Yes. Um and, was, and in like especially you're like getting intimate with these people, really you know, like, intimate because you're you're not just like an actor. You're dealing with your one person and then the people that you deal with, but you are looking at everyone as a whole. It's like I imagine like the director probably gets really connected to yeah, them too. Yeah, yeah, we we did. We got connected with the actors, but we also had 
Gary Nesner, and we had David Thibodeau mm-hmm. on set yeah. with us as, um, what do you call it? Uh, like consultants. Thank you, mm-hmm. consultants. Um, and I got close to both of them as well. And watching David Thibodeau watch this unfold again. Oh, my gosh. You know, and there were some scenes where he was just like just barely staying in his chair. And you'd like I just like go up and hold hands with him for a minute. Mm -hmm. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I got this. I got this. Yeah. And it was it was so intense. It was so intense. Yeah. Can you imagine whatever your personal worst thing that's ever happened to you having to relive it in front of you to be broadcast to the world. To the world. To the like, world. Because not only he relived it by writing his book, mm-hmm. and then like now it being produced into mm-hmm. a series. But it was also a huge, uh, it was also a huge release mm-hmm. for him because the government had never really given him a chance to get his side of the story out there. Yeah. And in, during the congressional hearings, et cetera, et cetera, um, the press decidedly took the government's side. And he was never really allowed to testify the way he wanted. Yeah. And I think that he felt that this was sort of his moment. You know, he he realized that we wanted to tell as truthful a story as we could. And it couldn't all be slanted to the Branch Davidians. Yeah. And he was fine with that as long as his side was represented. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, we're still friends and we still talk. And I, I feel like he is he is pretty happy. Yeah, good. So, which was a great, yeah. which is also a great thing. You love because you know that you did uh, justice to this exactly, and you mm-hmm. want to contribute to justice, and you want to contribute to the truth, and you want both sides mm-hmm. to be told and both sides to be heard. Yeah. So that I felt very good about that part of it. Right. Still sad, but still sad. <laughs> but then, like in in designing the costumes for mm-hmm. this, then like because it is, it's in the nineties, mm-hmm. early nineties, yeah, and it's in Middle America. It's in, or in w- Texas, West Texas, West Texas, so, which is not even Middle America. Yeah, it's, not it's even its own there. thing. It's man. its own it's thing. Its own thing. Yeah. So, how was finding the clothes for that? It was well. It was very interesting because I went to the rental houses mm-hmm. and I was like, "Okay, where's your early '90s?" And they're like, "Karen," because they're all like my age or a little older even, and yeah. they're like, "Early '90s? That's in my closet at home, mm-hmm. right?" Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, "Right, okay." So there's a great thrift shop. There's, uh, it's got two branches, one in Albuquerque and one in Santa Fe, which is where we shot. Mm-hmm. And it's where the 80s and 90s went to die. Oh, they, they, they just went. They're like, I'm retiring over here. <laughs> I'm retiring. This is me hanging in the hanging here at Savers, just waiting for you, Karen. Wow. And I, you know, I would take pictures. What an amazing of, find. How did you find so this? So amazing. Well, I knew. I shot there. Okay. I, I knew it would be there. So I wasn't too worried when okay. I didn't find it in the rental houses here. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I know where it's going to be. Um <laughs> and it was it was just so funny because I'd go in and I'd spend, you know, four thousand dollars on stuff from a, that's like three four cars worth. I'm like, okay, I'm checking out. You know, send yeah. everybody here with their cars, and these cars would just be filled up with stuff. Yeah, um, but it was great. It was really it was that part of it was really kind of fun. And you'd find these great treasures. Like there's a shirt I found at Savers that David uh, Taylor Kitsch ended up wearing. Um, he's playing at a bar He's because T- uh, David always wanted to be a rock star. That mm-hmm. was really his biggest goal in life was to be a rock star. And so he would play these little gigs, and we, we filmed one of them. And he's wearing this crazy shirt, and all the girls are just going mad for this shirt, like even yeah. in real life. And I'm like, okay, I nailed it. Yeah, got it. <laughs> you made him a rock star. So, But the difference between the Branch Davidians and... Within within that, there was a amongst the Branch Davidians, there was a kind of um, they had a kind of a code that they followed a, a um, um, 
you know, where everything had to be covered up. Um, did you know down to there like yeah you couldn't show elbows and you couldn't show knees because that would make the other sex kind of mm-hmm. excited you Ugh. know things like that modesty yes so there were certain modesty rules but within that you had all these different personalities and then on the other side of that in the uh, you know on the CIA side or the rather the FBI ATF side you had this sort of business casual Friday kind of look that you have on Michael Shannon with the dad mm-hmm. plaid shirts and the V-neck cashmere sweaters and the pleat front khakis you know there's a very sort of this very sort of Washington guy office look out yeah. there in the middle of the desert. So that was kind of, but you know, one of the most interesting, well, actually one of the most interesting comment uh, comments that I got to make sartorially was David Koresh himself. Mm-hmm. And if you look at David Koresh over the years, when you see him, he's, not dressed the same way twice, really. It's mm-hmm. as though he got up in the morning and he figured out what audience he wanted. Like, he was his own costume designer in a way. Yeah. He would figure out what audience he was going to play. Not, you know what I mean? And so he would be dressed differently. And you you amass, like, you, I, you know, when you get him up on the wall and you see all these different pictures of David Koresh, like, okay, he's this sexy high school Spicoli dude there. And then he, there was a, a moment where he went to court over some gun issues. And you find those photographs. And he's wearing a killer suit. Yeah. Like, where did this suit come from? Like, J.C. Penney's like, where I don't know. This? But it fits him beautifully. And, and he's, he's all, like, nothing's disheveled. His shirt fits You think he understood tailoring? He, absolutely. Yeah. He completely understood the power of clothes. Yeah. Um, and, and it makes a difference. Like in, in my real life, like when I was a server, I would do experiments. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, if there I wear this kind of outfit, mm-hmm. like how does it, and, and I could see the difference Power in my, my, my wages for the yeah. night. Yeah. It really made a difference. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. People are so interested. Absolutely. So you're playing to an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would do the same thing. And depending on what he was going to go out and do that day, he would get dressed accordingly. And you're like, that's kind of crazy uh-huh yeah wow yeah that's such a neat thing to pick up on because mm-hmm. that probably wasn't even written into the script but you no, picked up on that from I, research yeah and what i think that was one of the things that that got them to um like seriously consider me as the costume designer as i went in with this spread and i was like look here he's this character here he's this character yeah. he's like he's he's almost schizophrenic in his dress yeah like, oh neat oh, okay cool. neat all right so tell me more about getting getting a job so you said you went in when you like interviewed for this. Right. You had like a notebook, you had a spread, you yeah, had done absolutely. some pre-research. What Tons. what is your prep for uh going in for an interview look like? Well, the first thing I'll do when I get a script is I'll read it through and the characters will start to come alive to me in my head. Mm-hmm. Then I have to find, make, draw, somehow present what's in my head. I have to present it to the director and the producer. And that involves internet research. Sometimes I just can't find what I want, and sometimes I'll do drawings, you know. So it's, but it's about putting together a presentation. Like this character, this character looks like this, and here's why. This character says this, which makes me think that they're going to wear this dress then rather than just jeans and a t shirt. Yeah. Um, a really, a, a really great example of that is when I went in, when I did Lovelace. I went in and I already had this idea of this thing I wanted to do. She goes to and that's the, like a 1970s movie. It's 1972. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it took place then. Um, but she goes to the Playboy Mansion, and I wanted her to look like a total rock star. Mm-hmm. Then that same night, her husband's mad at her, and so he sells her to this group of men who rape her. Yeah, and I needed a garment that 
answer to all those same things because she wasn't going to change clothes between the two. Yeah, the two things that happened. So. I found a picture of the real Linda Lovelace several years later wearing a see-through lace dress. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, perfect. Yeah. So she shows up at the Playboy Mansion, and the DP was just marvelously brilliant, and he backlit her for that scene. So you see everything. Yeah. You just see everything on beautiful little Amanda Seyfried. Mm-hmm. And then that night, he her husband takes her... She goes through that horrible experience, and then she tries to run away from him. Well, when she jumps out of the car, she... She stumbles on the hem of her dress. She trips and she goes rolling down the hill in this beautiful see-through lace dress. And I thought there's a perfect example of a garment that sets a scene and then tells a story. Goes on to to tell a completely different story, but actually like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went into my interview with this idea You know, I hadn't done the drawings yet, but I had like a swatch and I had a drawing and I was like, this has to play here and here's why. And they were like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. So I'll do all, I have very specific ideas about very specific things. And then it's, you know, and then it's just a question of how can I present it? Right. You know, in a way that's, because a lot of times too, being an artist, what lives in your head is not easily translatable onto the page. It's not a. You can't. I wish I could take the hard drive out of my head and plug it into somebody's computer. I think and, that all the time, right? Yeah, I'm like, and just I, like, just watch, just look just at this, look at this. Yeah, you'll see. Um, so, and you can't, unfortunately, not yet. Anyway, um, so it's 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 that's the process of trying to explain in a way that's relatable what's in your head on the mm-hmm. page and 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 having finding the words to do that and finding the images to do that. Yeah. So 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 much of being a filmmaker in any level is being able to sell your skill. Yes. Right? So you yes. you having practice in in public speaking or in speaking to group and presenting mm-hmm. and things like that is mm-hmm. super important because yes. like yes, you could be brilliant but you need to have some proof of concept. You, you need to use your words. Yeah. You need if you can't use your words, dude, you're it's not going to happen. Yeah, especially yeah. because then you end up on set together. You get the job. You mm-hmm. end up on set. If you can't talk to people, you're like, mm-hmm. you're just lost. And that's where I have to say my degree in art history has really helped mm-hmm. because I can pull up two photographs. Um, when I was on Underground, there was a dress I, I wanted to sell an idea. And I said, okay. And I pulled up uh, Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Nights. And I said, the petticoats are going to look like this. And then I pulled up Madame X for, from Sargent. I said, but the outside of the dress is going to look like this. So when she pulls up her skirts, because it was a can-can scene. She yeah. just jumped, uh, dances on a piano. And I was like, so when she pulls up her skirts, you're going to see Starry Nights. But when she walks in, you're just going to see Madame X. And they were like, okay, oh, I get neat. it. And I was like, Phew. Oh, great. Yeah. Now we execute. Yeah, right. (laughs) Now we just have to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, awesome. Cool. So then now I want to talk a little bit about uh, your other project that came out recently, which is Batsmat. Basmati Blues. Mm -hmm. Basmati rice. Like, I was like, I make this rice. I don't know. Basmati Blues, (laughs) uh, which is a totally different tone. Completely. Utterly. So, we're going to check out the trailer for that movie now. 1.1 billion rice eaters, all of them potential customers. We need someone they can believe in. Rice 9 produces 22% more rice per acre, a seed that could feed the world. I've got some good news for you. We're sending you to India. Me? Yeah. I don't even like leaving my own neighborhood. I'm sorry. You please take it. No, you take it. You have to try this tea. It's delicious. 
know enough about biology. Here's my son. He's a scientist, too. To know that love is not some mystery. Well, you know, we met once before. On the train, I was on the roof. It's only chemicals. Welcome to my office. You must be very important. Oh, very. Maybe you're funny, and maybe you're smart. Do you know your rice is going to have to grow outside? It's called Mother Nature. There's flowers. People walk around barefoot. I will give the universe to you. I think you're really gonna like it here, Doctor. But I am only human after all. I am just a fool about to fall. And all I have to give is... I'm exasperated. Don't worry, India does that to all newcomers. Mm -mm, I'm pretty sure it's just you. I'm just here to help. You ever heard the phrase a wolf in sheep's clothing? If you think some big agribusiness is going to look out for your best interests, then you're crazy. You sold it to them. Dad, hi. How are you doing? Go, 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 go! Great. Don't think I've been here before. Stars that shine on I've never done anything like this before. Or is it all in my mind? All in you know, you've got some really good moves. You must have been Indian in a past life. You have some moves too. Ah. <laughs> I must have been white in a past life. I could make a formula. You're cute when you're righteously indignant. What an unexpected night. All in my mind. How exciting. Like, that must have been so fun. So fun. To take, like, you get the script for this and you're so just like, fun. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was great to tell a story with a little bit of a political, I always like it when something's got a little political undertone. Yeah. Um, but going to India and immersing myself in all that color. Yeah. All just really fabrics. juicy fabrics. That's so all I could think. So like, juicy. The fabrics are so I would, good. I would go to market and, and one of my um, collaborators would, He'd just look, my eyes would get just this big, and I'd be like, I just want to eat it all. And yeah. he'd be like, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, because I, I definitely, like, I look at, like, clothes and things like that, I'm like, oh, it's so yummy. Yeah, exactly. It's so yummy, exactly. and people are like, okay. Okay. And I was like, but it is, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And shopping in the markets there, mm -hmm. and just... Um, a lot of mostly Bollywood movies make all matching costumes mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do that I wanted to take a more American approach yeah. where people came as individuals to like there's a big wedding number mm -hmm. and watching everybody try to adjust to my crazy American idea that all the dancers were going to be dressed differently but you know just having this insane explosion of pink and blue and um, because one of the one of the ways I started the movie was to pull out all the color Mm -hmm. So the so the New York side where the um, it's sterile, very sterile, exactly, yeah. exactly. And everybody in there, there's a big scene with all the executives, and everybody's in gray or mm -hmm. charcoal or black or oh, because America's so boring. So well, corporate America <laughs> yeah. is so depress, you know, can be so depressing. Yeah. And these people were meant to be the enemy mm -hmm. in, to begin with. So. It, and so when she gets off the plane in India, she's all wrapped in the clothes that she came in New York from. So she's got a big shawl and a big jacket and, you know, tights and, and a, you know. And as she rides towards 
um, her destination on the train, she just keeps pulling off layers and pulling off layers till she's down to just this cute little T-shirt and a little skirt and some yeah. little flats, which was kind of um, sort of like tipping tipping the hand to what was going to happen to her. Yeah. You know, emotionally, she was going to come unwrapped yeah. from her cotton wrappings. And she was going to, like, find herself, her true essence. So that was one of the things I really wanted to play with at the beginning of the movie. And then when she finds color and starts adopting things from the from the land she's coming to love, adopting items of dress, then we start seeing those those things on her. And it was just, oh, it was so great. It was so really great. Yeah, yeah. Like, because you get a character that goes through an arc. Mm-hmm. And to, to play with that and then playing with the, the fact that layers come on and off yes. to, to mimic her emotional art exactly so awesome. exactly so yeah. great so uh that one so you got to actually work in india yes uh, how much prep work were you doing before you actually got to go immerse yourself in the culture um i th- want to say i had like maybe two weeks here there were certain things i knew i wasn't going to find there so i had to really focus on collecting those things here i've worked uh, overseas enough to know that there's always going to be a surprise for me mostly good but sometimes Oops, I didn't bring that with me. Yeah. So I've kind of learned to, I've, I'm kind of a, I wouldn't say brilliant, but I'm getting pretty good at guessing what another culture is not going to be able to supply. Yes. So one of these things, you know, which is pretty obvious is um, that, that the bad guys got some henchmen and they're wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not going to find that in India. Right. That's, so you need to bring that. So trying to figure out how to get like 50 pairs of cowboy boots into into Mumbai <laughs> was... <laughs> they're was, looking at you like, oh, yeah, excuse me, lady. Yeah. And then also like a lot of the fabrics that she wears early on... Um, she wore some vintage, but mostly I built everything. Mm-hmm. So those fabrics... I knew I would need to get here that I probably would not be able to find them there and I didn't. You mm-hmm. know, certain American prints or Western prints. Yeah, like a gingham or something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so you like have to bring that. You have to prep for that. That's yeah, great. It's just kinda of one of those things. Yeah, yeah, because it's a long ride to India. It, there, there's no just like, hey, can you send this over? You're like, Well it's gonna be a week or can a month. You, can you just take this extra suitcase? It's got a few pairs of cowboy boots in it. Yeah. 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 Did you have any issues going through customs with that kind of stuff? Not really because everybody very kindly carried a third bag or a fourth bag. Mm-hmm. So I only had to go in I think I went in with four bags. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't they were like, What's all this for? And I'm like, Oh, I love to give presents away. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Love. Sure. Love okay. presents. Love presents. You want one? Want, you want a pair of cowboy boots? Yeah. There's probably one there in your size. <laughs> probably is. One for everybody. <laughs> and and were you working with the, like, did you do a similar thing like you did with Waco where you had photos of people? Like, granted, they're not based on real people. No, not real. I mean, I, I of course, did research as, into where I was going. Mm-hmm. And because every part of India, they the women wear a different kind of sari or it's tied a different way mm-hmm. or they don't wear saris at all. They wear salwar kameez or something like that. Uh, so I did that kind of research, but really because we were creating our own world from scratch, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't really any research to be done. So that was that was that was it's uh, that movie's almost the antithesis of Waco because it's completely created. Yeah. As opposed to Waco, which is completely historical. Right. So in Waco, I'm walking this really fine line of making the costumes as authentic as possible without tipping without tipping either to excess or lack of authenticity, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. A, it's a very fine line that you're walking. Whereas with Basmati Blues, 
you kind of couldn't go over the top. Right. It's like, oh, some more sequins, some more bangles. Great. Good. Let's, let's do go. It. Yeah. Let's, let's do, do this. Yeah. That's really awesome. So, uh, do you have a preference between doing like a, a historically based thing or, or like you like I to run free? I love good story. Yeah. That's, you know, people always ask me, well, what's your favorite period? And I'm like, my favorite period is good story. Good story. That's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Because you seem like really versatile, like, because you've done all sorts of different periods mm-hmm. and different kind of like whimsical worlds, different mm-hmm. cultures and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, is there a movie that you've worked on or a project that you've worked on that you found very, very challenging? Um, they're all very challenging in some way mm-hmm. and they're all magical in some way. Um, one of the most challenging projects I've ever worked on was underground just uh-huh. for the sheer numbers of costumes I had to, uh, I had to create. And also because we, while it was historically accurate, it also wasn't like I took liberties. I mm-hmm. took liberties with silhouette and I took huge liberties with fabric so the fascinating part of that was to take these huge liberties with these fabrics that did not exist and yet make them look as if they were the most natural thing in the world. Yes. And that's very that's very ex- challenging in a very exciting way. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one of them. Another really challenging movie, actually, uh, was The Green Mile. Yeah. Uh, I made all of those prison uniforms... We hand, we silk had had all the fabric for the prison uniforms hand uh, silk screened. Yeah, and I worked with the silk screeners on the binders, which is what holds the fabric to the or the ink to the fabric. Mm-hmm. And we lessened the binders so that when I started distressing the clothes when they were finally when the uniforms when they were finally made. The the ink would come off, yeah, or the because they can't would... look like new uniforms. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then while we were in the middle of processing those, I suddenly I woke up three o'clock in the morning, bang, bolt <gasps> upright in my bed, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And I called the um, I called the location manager out in Tennessee. We were shooting the first half in Los Angeles, and then the second half in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I called him. I was like, you need to send me a dirt sample from that main big yeah. Work that work field where they're all like taking mm-hmm. out tree stumps. Like you have to send me a sample of that dirt because I have to make the distressing match. Yes. And I got the dirt and I was like, Phew. I'm really glad I got that. Cause it was not the color I had imagined it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I had to invent for that movie was the uniforms. Guards weren't really wearing uniforms during the depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sing Sing was, uh, but that was pretty much the only prison in the United States. That what had, were they wearing? They were wearing their own clothes. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the research and I'm going through and I'm like, why aren't I seeing any prison guards? Why aren't I seeing any prison guards? Because I'm so visual. I never stop to actually read all these old articles. Uh-huh. I'm just like, like picture, 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 picture. picture. I yeah. see a guy with a gun. I see a guy in chains. The guy in chains is wearing the fourth out, what would be the equivalent of the Armani suit now. And the guy with the gun is wearing overalls and a wife beater. And yeah. what? So finally started reading the captions like, oh, those are the guards. Uh-huh. And I was and I went to Frank Darabont, the director, and I was said, We gotta put uniforms on these guys because right. the script is so intimate. Mm-hmm. I was worried that the actors would lose their sense of um lose their sense of of separation from the prisoners. Mm-hmm. So and so Frank and I talked about it and Frank was like, Yes, you need uniforms. So we I took um it's actually the New York City police. And they, oh, there, there they are. Yeah. Um, it's the New York City police had a magnificent uniform in the 30s. And it's actually the SS also stole their 
stole that yeah, uniform for their, their style. Own. Yeah, exactly. It's a good style. It's a really slick uniform. It's a very slick uniform. So I took that. And then I sort of messed with the epaulettes and I gave it some early Air Force charm, you know, to make them a little bit more dashing. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing was coming off as just a little too slick and a little too tough. Yeah. So I took that eight-pointed milkman's hat Mm -hmm. and I covered it with the same blue matching fabric so that that the milk, you know, the, the milkman's hat is just trustworthy. Yeah. So you're like, you've got these guys who mean all business, but they're wearing this really kind of sweet, folksy, guy-next-door kind of hat. Yeah. So that brought them, it brought them down to a point where you could relate to them. Yeah. So that means... Like, humanize them a little bit so they're not just sitting there, like, as this authority figure. Exactly. And nobody has ever questioned anything in that movie. And that's like, wow, I feel great about that. It was incredibly challenging to pull off, but it looks so natural that nobody ever talks about it. And I'm like... Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I would have never thought that. Like, it, that did not right. stand out to me at all. But, like, you say that, of course, in the Depression, they didn't have money no. to be to buy uniform uniforms. people. No. Yeah. And, you know, and the prisons weren't paying for the uniforms yet. Mm-hmm. You had to actually go to a tailor and have your, your uniform made for you, bespoke, mm-hmm. it's called. Um, and these guys, I mean, rural Louisiana, there's no yeah. way they can afford that. No. So... But it did. It like it added to the story. It, it made really a difference. Did. It really did. So when they're talking to the guys behind bars, you really got that sense of authority. Mm-hmm. And the guys would get dressed and they'd they'd put on that sense of authority. Mm-hmm. So you know, there again, that's the thing I started out talking about in the morning. You know so much about a character before they open their mouth, and you see yeah. them walking him in. And you're like, here's guys with authority. This huge man could take them all out. Yeah. And nobody questions that uniform. Nobody. Everybody just goes, oh, guy in uniform. Okay. Yeah, hands up. Sorry. Exactly. My bad. My yeah. bad. I didn't mean to do that. Any uh, project that you found, uh, like, it did sound like this one was a favorite as well. Like, it was challenging and a favorite. Any other favorites that stand out to you? Eve's Bayou is one of my favorites. Yeah? Yeah. And what happened there? Uh, it was, it was um, again, it was really creating a world. And I had the idea that I wanted a kind of a contemporary Camelot in the sense of the Kennedys, mm-hmm. that I wanted this doctor's family to be a kind of a Camelot. Yeah. So everybody's beautifully dressed and they're sort of wafting through the bayou, you know, in these gorgeous dresses and having these beautiful dance parties in these beautiful dresses. Yeah. And I think about like being from the South, right? And I don't yeah. know it's really hot and humid. And right. then I look at period pieces of when they were like still wearing really elaborate clothes yeah. and you're like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You look great. Yeah. But you I'm look so great. sorry. Yeah. Well, I felt so bad for them on underground because mm-hmm. we were shooting in the south it yeah. was bad the first year was baton rouge and the second year was um uh in in uh, georgia yeah. and savannah and it was like 110 degrees and they've got petticoats and corsets and all these layers of clothes on <gasps> it's like oh i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah but you look great you look fantastic you look so great yeah that's fun so you really created this world mm-hmm. and that w- what kind of research went into that one into east bayou yeah it, well, it was, um, you know, it was late 50s. I, mean, I think it was set in 62. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just your general period. It was a little bit more like Basmati in mm-hmm. that it was your general research to make sure your talking points, as it were, were in the right box. Right. But then just take it and run with it from there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. how exciting. Yeah. Well, good. Let's now chat a little bit about uh, how someone interested in getting into costume design, what, what do they need to do? Like, uh, on a practical level of, like, if they're just at home, they're not in L.A., they're not in a major market, what kind of research can they do? Uh, what can they look at 
things like that? Well, I would, I mean, to me, and maybe this is because I do so much period, to me, it, it's a it's a good idea to have a good sense of silhouette, mm-hmm. you know, all the way from the ancient Greeks. I mean, that has helped me out. My art history background has really helped me out. I can look at, somebody will say, you know, this movie is set in 1722, and I can pull up a painting in my head and say, okay, it's this. Oh, yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah. Um, not that everybody needs to go memorize 10,000 paintings mm-hmm. like I did. But knowing to go that route. Like, you but, can look up paintings yes. from this time. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly, and see the people in them. So that's, a, I mean, that's a great place to start. It's also a great place to, uh, another great place to start is to know your fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and have j- some general sense of sewing, like how to cut out a pattern and yeah. how to, how pattern pieces go together or mm-hmm. a sense of, you know, a little bit of draping. Because um, at this point, like how much actual sewing and like construction of garments do you do? I do none. Right. But I work very closely with the head of tailoring, mm-hmm. a cutter fitter or a tailor. Yeah. I work very closely with them. And I have to know when I, when I pick a fabric or I show swatches of fabric to a director, mm-hmm. I have to know what that fabric is capable of doing. Yeah. So if I'm doing a summer suit, but I've pulled out a really thick Russian woolen. It's not going to work the it's same. It's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and the suit isn't going to drape the way it needs to. Mm-hmm. It's not going to flow the way it needs to. So it's great to spend some time in fabric stores, just like unrolling bolts of fabric and seeing mm-hmm. what they do when you do this. You know, it's called it's called the hand of a fabric. The hand. Oh, yeah, because it's like how it grabs. How it grabs, yeah. how it falls. Um, it's important to know... Um, Resources. I mean, this is something that anybody can do anywhere in the world. Most important fabric stores in the United States, best fabric stores in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, where, how can you, if you're going to be my PA and I say, I need some buckles to go with this. You know, as a PA, you can go say, you can go say, I'll be back in five minutes, and you can. Yeah, I'm going to go to Michael Levine's downtown. Yeah, <laughs> or just I'm going to print out. I mean, if we're yeah. say we're in Center Iowa, where I have shots, right. there is really a place called Center Iowa. Uh-huh. You know, you can say, well, here in New York, there's these three places that have all these buckles. Is mm-hmm. this what you're looking for? Yeah, you know, so you can be so helpful. And at the same time, educate yourself so that when you become a costume designer, you already have this in your in your yeah. mental Rolodex, as I like to mm-hmm. say. Yeah, that um, when you're working with your PA and, like, they don't know, you can be like, okay, start your search here mm-hmm. and then expand. Mm-hmm. But maybe the most important thing you can do if you can possibly figure out how to is to travel. Mm. Travel everywhere, far away, as far away as you can get and Travel on your own. Mm-hmm. Don't go with a tour. Don't go with a school group. I mean, don't put yourself in danger, of course. I'm not advocating that. Yeah. But park yourself in Paris for a week. Or I mean, I used to go to a foreign city and rent a flat for a month and just walk around. Oh, that's the best. And you pick up on texture and how people might wear a pair of jeans, but they wear it completely differently in Paris than they do in London. Mm-hmm. You know, and just to understand how people are different and to understand how cultures are different. Yeah. And to be respectful of that. And anything you can bring back to the costume department is a huge help. Yeah. You know, it just it just gets you that much further. Yeah. So I was just recently in New Orleans mm-hmm. and I was, you know, just like sitting there and like taking a look at people and granted there's a lot of tourists yeah. in the area that I was in, but then when I went a little bit on the outskirts, 
uh, I just noticed like all the ladies were in sundresses. Mm-hmm. They were all, and, and there was not for show. They just like had put their face very, on, they put their dress on, mm-hmm. and they put on like their cute little shoes, mm-hmm. even if they were just walking down the street. Mm-hmm. But the difference between New Orleans and Savannah is mm-hmm. huge because the ladies in Savannah will wear sundresses as well. But the way they put them together and the shoes they wear with them and the jewelry they pick out to go with it, mm-hmm. wildly different from New Orleans. Yeah. You know, just w- apples and oranges. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a similar sense, but mm-hmm. in a different shade. Completely different. Yeah. Oh, Very so culturally neat. different. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So travel, uh, learn some art history mm-hmm. and like take note. Of mm-hmm. thing like sit sit and watch people sit and watch people yeah you know absolutely I mean the more you can bring to the department or the more you can really what it boils down to is the more you can bring to your own life the more expansive you are as a person um, the more you bring to your chosen career because you're so excited about the world yeah and the more excitement you bring in. The better job you do. Yes. I really believe that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very true. I've, I've seen it time and time again. And you're just like, great. You, you're great to work with. Like, maybe yeah. you're not as skilled as you could be yet, but. But you're, you're a PA. Yeah. And you'll learn. And this is why you're a PA, because you yeah. are learning. You're learning and you're excited to be here. And the people that do express that and the people who do bring that to the job, I'll teach. Yeah. You know, I'll teach indefinitely. Or I'll say, here, I have a series of notebooks that just goes on forever. And it's a swatch encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, you know, go look up 18th century Paisley. And then go, you know, just go wander around in those books. Learn. Ask me questions. Learn. And they will. And I do. And it's wonderful to give back. Yeah. You know, what people gave me. But if you come with an attitude like you're owed something bad news it's just i'm like mm. and that's in any department in any career it's in life yeah it does not even departmentally don't be a jerk yeah, well, i feel just... like i say this all the time <laughs> like, don't be a jerk well or you know more importantly i would say grow some manners mm-hmm. you know i'm a big stickler for manners and most producers and directors are as well yeah and very few people you know i guess at a certain point when you're entry level and you're just coming in you don't yeah. have great manners you can kind of hide that. But the further up the food chain you get, the better your manners have to be. Yes. And it's just, I can't stress that. And get off your cell phone. Yeah. You know, I have so many PAs who are just like, I'm talking to them and I'm giving them instructions for the day. And they're like, oh, look who Facebook me. And I'm like, I yeah, care. Sorry. Yeah. Love you, but don't care. Yeah, and that's something that I had been uh, looking at and looking into lately because sometimes I find myself really connected to my phone because people are contacting me and there's like resources and there's like Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of a lot of little pieces. Of course. But when possible, it's like, okay, this thing has to go away and I have to focus at the task at hand because I want this to be the best it can be. Right. Because you're torn. Anytime it buzzes at you, Mm -hmm. there's, there's something in your head that no matter what, you have to look away. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially when you're talking to your boss. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that's wonderful, wonderful yeah. advice. Uh, my final question for you. Yes. Uh, how is Jean-Claude Van Damme? He's awesome. Yeah? He's, he's really funny. He's got a great sense of humor. And he loves, like he did most, a lot of his own stunts. And then you'd see him, like, wandering around the town at night making new friends. And, yeah. Yeah, he's he seems like seems like a fun yeah, guy. Yeah, he's a really fun guy. Especially when you're, you have a career that's all these, like, really, like, kitschy yeah. Like action movies. Yes. Like you can't take yourself Absolutely. too seriously. No. And he doesn't. He's like, I know who my audience is. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great. Have a good time with exactly. it. That's I think is a, a great advice exactly. and something we can take for any career. Yeah. So I think you're the first person who's ever asked me how he was. Yeah. I've got questions about other kinds yeah, of people. You're like Tom like, Hanks and yeah. like Ryan Gosling, all these other people. And I'm like, oh, it's all Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Like, is he amazing? Yeah. So you could tell your mom that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
We're, it was like we're, we're that much closer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for chatting <laughs> with oh, me. Thank you so much for having Lots me. Lots of really, really great uh, advice and information for those of you that are out there that are interested in getting into costume design and also advice that you can use for any aspect of filmmaking. Absolutely. Yes. Any aspect of life, really. Any aspect of life. So take yeah. it. Run with it. Dress well. Awesome. <laughs> because and, I'll be watching. Yeah. I'll be sitting at a cafe going, Really? What you put you, that on this morning? That's what you what chose today. Now I want to know, like, what was your opinion of me seeing me? But we'll find out afterwards. Maybe I'll tweet about it. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Uh, make sure you subscribe on YouTube to Popcorn Talk so you can see more episodes of On the Fly Filmmaking. And if you prefer a podcast version, then you can find this episode and others of On the Fly Filmmaking on iTunes. We will see you next time. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.